Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Today we have a new story and we have an amazing storyteller. I have the pleasure to welcome you, Camilo, to Urbanistica podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you, Mustafa. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here in Urbanistica podcast. I'm a fan. And so I'm I'm thrilled and and humbled to be in your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And now thank you so much for giving your time to record this episode. Tell me, how are you doing? I'm great. Fantastic. I'm uh, uh, on a six-hour six shift in time so i'm um, yeah. in the us it's noon uh and it's beautiful over here so i'm having a great time nice and in stockholm it's like night time and it's raining okay, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> okay. It's, it's the All opposite right. yeah. i was trying to share some of those vibes <laughs> yes thank you so much uh tell me did you have a summer vacation or it's not yet in the us how how when is it 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 doesn't work like it does in Europe. Uh, okay. You do get your vacation, but it's yeah. it's a little bit shorter. One and two, depending on the sector that you are. If you're a teacher, obviously they work with uh, the school schedule. But if you're yeah. in any other sector, you take your weeks whenever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually recently in Portugal, and uh, this was maybe the second week of August, and it's the busiest I've seen at the airport. Uh... I'm assuming in Europe vacations are different. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but I did. I did spend some time uh, abroad, and it was it was a good trip. That's great. So, what what do you do now? Like, uh, is the new semester uh, starting, or how is it? Well, for schools, yes. So okay. the new year uh, starts in about a week. Okay. Uh, same thing for universities and colleges. For us, it's just a regular year. The yeah. one thing that does change is the fiscal year. So everything that has to do with money and billing, uh, that is starting at, that does start a new year. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. So uh, let's start. Uh, I am reading your book, and I love it. Uh, so this episode is going to be Thank about you. your book and also about you and about justice uh, within urban planning in Latin America. So a lot of things to explore. Uh, But let's start with you. How would you like to introduce yourself to our listener? Sure. Uh, Again, my name is Camilo Espiti. I'm I'm an urban planner uh, living and practicing in the U.S. Uh, I was originally born and raised in Colombia, but I've been living here for about two decades now. my career really began as an architect, but uh, it shifted to urban design and planning back in 2015. Yeah. Um, I'm right now uh, deputy director of uh, the Department of Planning and Development of a city called Lowell, which is 35 minutes north of Boston. And uh, it's exciting because it's really the place where the Industrial Revolution was born in the U.S. as a large scale, mm-hmm. as the first big mill town. Um, but before that, I worked in the private sector in Boston, uh, New York before that, and, yeah. and before that, Miami. Yes, yes. And and tell me how the background of you writing the book, how did it start? Yeah, um, it's just historically planning ideas and, and, and planning literature is in general have come from what we call the global north, which yeah. is either Europe or, or the United States. Uh, but in the past few decades, there has been a tremendous shift in, in planning policies in Latin America, and mm. I don't think it has been documented properly and fully. Mm. And so I saw this as an opportunity to um, document that, but the goal with the goal of transforming the way people perceive these cities and think about these cities, people who don't live in the region or um, who have seen them only on the news, 
uh, with the idea that maybe uh, they understand how our cities work uh, and, and changing that that mindset of, of what people have with Latin American cities. Mm. Uh, but also thinking that it's important in general for people, the, the broad public to understand yeah. how cities work with uh, urban planning being a, 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 on this book specifically from a positive point of view and educational mm. point of view. But most importantly, really the main goal is to try uh, to get young people who are in college or those who are thinking about how to make a difference in their community to see urban planning as one of those tools to yeah. uh, fight against social equity. Mm. And when you, when you, in the book, when you say social justice, um, can you can you more elaborate and define it from from urban planning point of view? Yeah, I'll say that from an urban uh, planning perspective, uh, social justice would be the manifestation of equal opportunities in the built environment. Mm. And so cities and communities that offer connections to employment or education, green spaces, mm. uh, spaces to create community. Uh, cities that promote healthy habits uh, are socially equitable cities, uh, and they address social justice uh, because it provides opportunities to thrive at every income level. Mm -hmm. uh, and because they become inclusive, uh, they are welcoming and they are kind cities. And at the same time, they allow participation from the community and they create this sense of belonging and ownership yeah. for everybody in the city and not just one sector. And so mm -hmm. that will be the way from an urban planning point of view, uh, the, the way to address uh, social justice. Yeah. Can we say it's like also uh, a human centric planning? Correct. Could be could be also a way to define how do we make a social justified plan or something like this? Correct. So the idea is that when you plan for cities, you're not planning for buildings or roads or or even transportation mm. itself. You plan for people and mm. how do we make sure that people have equal access yeah. to these things? And so yeah. then you start defining these systems for uh, the experience of people. Yeah, it's interesting that you're mentioning this because uh, uh, last week I had also a presentation about urban planning and uh, I told like uh, the the audience that remember we when we plan it's like the entire goal is about making our life uh, better enhance the quality of life and also of course the, the, the for the ecological even if it's like uh, they are not matching 100% together but remember like we are in we want to enhance our, our life as a people not making it only good for cars or or just because we need to develop a city we just make roads it's in the end, it's about us, social people. Correct. That is that is totally correct. The cities are for people, not for for cars or for roads. Cities mm -hmm. are for people in the end. So how how we create these spaces should be centered on how people yeah. live, and and that's a way to create social equity. Yeah. And Camilo, I know this topic is sensitive uh, when it comes to justice, and also like uh, let's say when it comes to Latin America. How are you credible to talk about this? Like, what is your relation? Why why are you taking this topic and talking about it and so on? Yeah, when, when I first moved uh, to the U.S. from Colombia, I arrived at Miami. And uh, as you may know, fully aware is full of uh, Hispanics. <laughs> Uh, so it was, but it was honestly my first encounter with people from all over the region. And, and it was fascinating to hear them talk about their countries and their cities mm. in such a familiar and personal way. Mm. Whereas for me, it was things that I had only read in books. And so it, it felt before that, it felt like a distance thought, right? Like, a, like when you think about Buenos Aires, or Caracas, or Sao Paulo, or Mexico City, it always felt like the thing that I would either see on TV or or, mm. or reading books. And so for the first time, this felt a little bit more personal, even if it was with that separation of them being the ones from there. Uh, but it felt like I now could experience this not so much from a historic level, but more based on, on someone's day-to-day. -day. Mm. Uh, and then after that, uh, when uh, after college, when I started working as an architect and planner, I did have the opportunity to physically work in, in the region, in Colombia and Argentina and Mexico. Uh, and so that was my first direct experience with these places, now seeing them 
uh, for myself. Uh, but specifically in Mexico, uh, with the water issues that the country, but specifically Mexico City, has that sort of sparked the curiosity for me to understand how they deal with these issues in, in such unique ways, but mm. at the same time, finding some similarities in what I was doing in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting to see that relationship of those places versus the ones that I had worked here uh, um, in the United States. And, and that's how the relationship started yeah. as a whole. And in the book, you mentioned different cases from different uh, cities in Latin America. Um, can you give us like a highlight about these cases and, and maybe like choose one and like talk about it in details? Sure. The, the book uh, has three, six different cases mm. uh, based on six different cities in Latin America. Uh, these are things that every city deals with, but I thought that it was important to highlight how each of them was doing something very important and very specific and very successful mm. towards each of the topics. And uh, the overall um, approach of the book is uh, celebrating what what has been done, what is being done. Mm. So obviously it talks about the problem, but really the focus is on on the good things that that the planners, the designers, the architect, the architects, uh, everybody who's involved in yeah. city development has done. And so the first, um, chapter is based in Bogota and it talks about how urban planning has an impact on social mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one, as I mentioned before, is, is in Mexico City and it deals with um, water scarcity, but specifically about how there are sectors of the community who suffer most mm -hmm. uh, with water scarcity and uh, paradoxically enough, flooding as yeah, well. Yeah. And so how the city has evolved towards that. Lima talks about air quality and environmental justice. Um, Buenos Aires uh, deals with uh, food security uh, and how they had uh, they have dealt with uh, increasing the amount of food supply within the city through urban agriculture mm. uh, policies, uh, school and, and community farming, uh, community kitchens. Um, and it's interesting because Argentina is one of the uh, world's uh, major food exporters, and it's it's a paradox yeah. that Buenos Aires has that issue, uh, and but they are solving it. Uh, Santiago uh, talks about the reduction of energy consumption, um, and again the same thing about yeah. equity in what happens uh, to some people in the energy habits and the consumption mm. uh, habits that they have. And finally, Medellin in terms of digital connectivity, which is essential for both. Uh, economic and social development. And I would think that uh, uh, Lima, it's a very interesting chapter because when we talk about air quality uh, uh, and then transfer to the topic of environmental justice, mm. uh, we talk about the things that they have done to reduce um, uh, pollution, but also to make sure to address uh, environmental justice. And so, yeah. for instance, uh, the first thing that they did was deployed uh, air sensors throughout the city, uh, mm -hmm. and it helped understand not only how high pollution is, but uh, what is it composed of, mm. uh, and where is it more concentrated, um, and that helped them prioritize the areas with the highest numbers, but also to establish uh, very specific and precise methods for re uh, reducing pollution. Yeah. Um, the chapter also talks about transportation as one of the major um uh, pollution uh, mm. producers uh, and how the city has implemented the metro, uh, BRT system, bike paths throughout the city to reduce the use of private vehicles. Um, and things like as simple as um, when you talk about environmental justice, where, where uh, often the low communities are the ones who suffer the most mm. uh, when it comes to environmental issues. And specifically in Lima, it's because they are either located nearby um, industrial uses and so it affects the air quality or simple things like um, the fact that a road is not paved uh, the particles in the air increase mm. and so it affects their health so yeah. that's a way to think about how do we talk about urban planning and mm. social justice in the same uh, conversation mm. uh, and so it is possible and Lima is a good example of that yeah so in every case you review the challenge and also talk about how um, the city solve this problem or, or, or overcome the challenge. Correct. And it comes also with a little bit of a background from yeah. very, very succinct on how they 
were born and what led them to the state at which they were when they started with these problems mm. and then goes to and this is how they're trying to solve them yeah so like uh, do, do you see there is like a kind of uh, pattern on on how cities can identify a challenge and solve it like is there like some steps that we could follow in order to overcome a challenge and solve a problem yeah yeah i think unfortunately the first step is to uh look at themselves in the mirror and acknowledge uh the flaws mm. and 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 the challenges yeah uh, and and that seems simple but in 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 concept but in reality it's scary because it means making these issues public uh it is obviously the political weight of acknowledging the wrongs the mistakes or simply the results of 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 actions or natural processes that were overlooked and caused these problems. But once you go through this first stage of collecting what the existing conditions are and understanding uh, what uh, the challenges are, uh, and you collect all your data, mm. then you should engage the community. Okay. Uh, not only to be transparent about what these issues are, but uh, to work with them to discuss possible solutions and very likely they have ideas of what they would like to see and how some of the solutions are connected with the way they live. And so you start drafting objectives and goals uh, with them so that they are integral to not only the, the infrastructural part of a city, but also the cultural part of mm -hmm. it. And then you move forward towards implementation of those tasks uh, to arrive at the goals and objectives that you have set up with the community. But this helps set up the accountability of how really you're going to get there. So then you start the questions of who is doing what, uh, what is being done, mm. when is it being done, uh, how is it being funded, how is it being monitored, is this all working? And so you go from the research of what what the collection of uh, things that you have to investigate in the city and understand mm. where you stand today. Uh, discuss it with the community and then uh, yeah. move forward yeah but the the part of engaging uh, community uh, sometimes they are like a very big questions uh, when it comes to city development um, is the community still relevant to be part of solving these big questions definitely definitely because without a north uh, then how do you plan where are you going, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so the North is being drafted by the community, not so much by the the political arm or the planning arm, but it has to be drafted with the community. The community mm -hmm. is the one that is going to decide where they want to go, what type of city they want to be in the future, and very importantly, understand the trade-offs, right? Because if you want more things being done in the city, it needs to be funded right and so the yeah. compromise of what am i giving away so that mm. these things that i want mm. uh do happen you you can do anything you want in a city but unfortunately you can't do it all so you do have to find the ways of how to get there and so even in the biggest uh high level conversations of of drafting a vision of a city the community needs to be present yeah and down to the detail of okay so how do we get there how who is doing what how do we mm. How do we fund these things? Yeah. And then you carry on the plan. That's now the executive arm, which would be how do we get the funding through, you know, uh, our hopefully our uh, political arm and then the implementation of things like with the planning department mm -hmm. or Department of Public Works and so on. Yeah. But because sometimes uh, when I talk to some cities, they mention that, OK, but if we involve community, it's going to take more time we're gonna get a lot of more feedback that we need to consider and if we don't consider it it's gonna be a big problem they will be angry on us then we open in another door so like right how do we how to say how can cities um work with community uh, feedback and opinion in a way that is not feels like it's overloading the existing um, work and process right it is tricky, as, and and the bigger the city, the the more challenging it is to make sure that everybody's participating, right? Because mm. historically, what happens is in a community, only a small amount of group, only a small amount of people, are typically the ones going to these meetings. So, um, 
the, I can tell you the use of technology nowadays is essential to make sure that people participate. Yeah. Uh, but you also have to have your uh, in-person meetings in mm -hmm. large high schools or auditoriums. I think the way to make sure that there is no duplicate of information or overload of information and, and that the questions that we ask do give us the right information is making sure that we are very, very thorough about what is it that we're trying to find out? Mm. Um, what is it that we are really trying to get out of this question? Um, and then the way you ask the question yeah. uh, needs to be set up in a way that allows for hopefully either open-ended questions, which are trickier because you mm -hmm. have a multiplicity of different visions, but if you select, uh, I don't know, for the sake of numbers, five to 10 options. Yeah. Now it's easier to calculate what the priorities are out of a question, mm -hmm. right? And so you very likely you sort of have some sort of parameters on how to answer those questions because you already uh, know what type of information you want to uh, yeah. uh, gather, right? Mm -hmm. It's not so much you want to know, it's not so much crafting the answer for them. Yeah, because, because I'm thinking that, about that would this. That would be unfair. Yeah, it's because I'm thinking about this. Now, if we control so much the questions and we Correct. we already predict the answers then Correct. what is left for the community as a, like from more from the democratical way Correct mm. it will be it will be unfair that you lead the question to the answer you want Yes what what you want is to be very clear about the what type of answer what type of information you want to gather mm. whether you like the information or not <laughs> That's irrelevant, right? That's yeah. for the people to tell you. But yeah. but you do want to make sure for this for the sake of the example, you're gonna ask people, uh, how much are you willing to invest in this public park? Mm. And so the, the the question for the, the answers could be little, uh, uh, medium amount, and you select what that amount is, or mm. a lot of money. Mm. That way you're not leaving, and then you set up what those quantities are versus somebody's gonna tell you. One euro, 10 euro, 12 euro, 15 euro. Mm -hmm. And so when you select a parameter for what those answers are, it's easier to get that information. So mm -hmm. you will get an understanding of what that range of money would yeah. be or how much are they willing to pay for something versus leaving it completely open-ended because then as transparent as that can be, mm -hmm. it's impossible to get uh, an answer from the same answer from so many people. But if you if you set parameters for the what the answers are going to be, that's a way to... Uh, yeah. understand what type of information you're going to get and get it more concise. Yeah, because um, how to say in, in some community engagement processes, uh, sometimes there are there are like questions for, OK, we collect opinions, uh, like not more the parameters answers, but more like open opinion. And that's right. how a lot of different opinions comes in and cities find it super hard to deal with, because how can right. we satisfy so many different people? and so on. That's why a lot of cities just close this door and, okay, we don't do any community right, engagement right, right. process. I think one one way to mitigate that is to uh, make sure that you don't have this every 20 years now we're going to talk to you. <laughs> I think that if, if you have um, a person on the ground, boots on the ground, constant community engagement, right? And it's yeah. not necessarily a formal exercise of of community engagement is just having somebody out there hearing to what people are saying yeah. overall mm -hmm. you you have an idea of what people are talking about you have an idea of what they want to see so then your questions can be molded yeah to what you have been hearing and mm -hmm. so again i think the trick is don't do it every 20 years no because then all of a sudden you're going to get the answers that you don't expect. I think it's more of a constant evolution of how you engage with the community, yeah. having, depending on your form of government, mm. if you have a council, having the councillors be present and talking with the community constantly, right? Mm. Uh, from the planning point of view, having people attending neighborhood meetings mm. often and periodically. So you have this message already uh, percolating through your brain. Uh, from what people are inherently talking about mm. as a community. And that starts shaping the type of information that you know you're probably should be finding out in more specific ways. Uh, and that way you avoid the super ended, open ended questions that are impossible to um, yeah. synthesize, um, but also avoiding crafting the answer for them. 
Um, mm. and, and so it's really more about being knowledgeable of what the community wants and 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 and, and needs yeah. constantly. Yeah, I think it, uh, you mentioned a good point, like being in 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 touch with the community. Correct. How to say, uh, in, not every twenty years. Then, like the load of information they were like gathering in these twenty years is going to be a lot. But instead, Correct. like having a, a constant dia- dialogue with them to to check with them what they need. And that's how you break down all these, how to say, big issues or challenges or, or, or opinions. Correct. So when they tell you they want more public transportation, it's not a surprise, right? If you if you are constantly talking with In, them and seeing their needs, yeah. when they tell you we need more buses, yeah, it's, it's kind of reasonable, yeah, right? Yeah. And we need more open space, so it's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think it's it's necessary that? Um, in this kind of community engagement, that the the city is there that as a as a politician, as a like uh, city authorities, are uh, present and talk with people instead of uh, giving this to a consultant to 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 do it. It could be both. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you want to avoid is what we call here the helicopter planning, where somebody just arrives, asks the questions, <laughs> here's what you should do, and then they leave, and they yeah. were never part of the community. Um, but but you do need the help of somebody that can collect all this information. The technicality of collecting the information, yeah. uh, crafting how you're going to do the community engagement process, mm-hmm. uh, helping you write and and have those conversations and and lead the mm-hmm. conversations or manage the conversations with the community. But the presence of the political body is is extremely important because what that means is that whatever the community is saying, one they are hearing it first time, yeah. right? It's not a surprise. And two, whatever solutions you're trying to come up with for these things that the the community is telling you are being vetted and Mm, supported by mm. the political arm. Because if they're not present, first of all, they don't understand what the issues are. So it's really left to the consultant or a Mm. planning agency uh, to tell them, here's what we are hearing from the community. If Mm. they're not present, it might be something that the company is just telling you instead of being heard from the community. And even more so when the company is telling you, the planning agency is telling you, and this is the things that we should do, they don't know. They they think it's too expensive. They think it should be completely different. So if they're not part of the process, mm. it very likely will be a, a failure of a plan. Yeah, yeah. Because I noticed like in, in my in my projects, and uh, when I, I work as a consultant, so when I get a commission from a city to do like a community engagement um, activities, there's a huge difference between when I go alone or when I go with a with a, a person from the city. Right. Uh, and it's much better to go with a person from the city because the the citizen feel a bit safer that uh, okay Correct. the city is here. Uh, they Correct. they are not only sending us a consultant. They are here. They care about us. Uh we exactly. we we feel we are close to them. So now when I work I usually like how to say, not force, but try to get people from the city to come with me. They don't want need to 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 do the activity, just to be there, uh, say hello, uh, observe what is happening, to to hear. So so they are also close to the people instead of sitting on their desktop in the city office and predicting, uh, thinking about okay how people outdoor wants to leave or what are the challenges so in my opinion it's always good that the city is uh, out and meeting people and talking to people agreed agree you bring a good point it it, it helps them trust uh, the 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 process uh but it also helps them understand that the the city is really behind this mm. that if they're gonna tell the planning agency xyz yeah that they're actually being heard, mm. right? That that the city is going to actually try to listen and try to take that into and make it an action. Yeah. Whereas if they're not present, they can tell anything they want to the planning agency, but they know. I just told it to somebody strange, right? They don't. <laughs> they don't live in this city. They don't know my city. Mm. Uh, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. But if if somebody from the city the council uh, or the mayor of mm. that uh, or the city manager of that community is present, uh, it, it's, it works both ways. It, it proposes 
uh, an involvement, a commitment from the city with the community, yeah. but also trust of the community in that they are behind this process. Yeah. And, and it's not just a private effort, it is actually the city caring for them. So it's a really good point. Exactly. No, it's. I think it's interesting that uh, you highlighted these uh, points. And uh, back to your book, you also write uh, a chapter about uh, the future. How is the future going to look like uh, for cities in Latin America? Um, so, so what do you think? What should they focus on or prioritize? Yeah, I think that the future for, for Latin American cities uh, look great. I think the more mature they get, and it's years, these are all cities, but you mm. know, it took years to yeah. uh, get to know themselves after independence, right? After mm -hmm. being part of a colony, now they are independent. So it's not that long ago that, that they were for the first time thinking about themselves as an independent agency. So the, the more mature they get, the more they understand what the challenges are, but also the more they understand the tools that they have yeah. uh, to overcome these challenges. And I think nowadays, especially in this new era, there's more qualified people, there's more talented mm, people mm, working mm, in these cities, in the planning agencies, architects, and, yeah. and even the political the political arm is also more knowledgeable about these things. Um, and, and I do think the big difference between today and how things were being done in the past is that, um, in the region at least, mm. is that today is more holistic the way they think about uh, planning, right? It's more integral. Mm. Whereas uh, before it was, uh, it, not ill intention, it was just a necessity of doing something for the city. Uh, it was more focused on uh, let's invest in infrastructure or let's look at housing. Um, but uh, today they look at it as uh, as a system, the mm. city as a system rather with several components rather than different separate things, right? Yeah. So when the city in the 1800s or the early 1900s said, let's invest in these avenues. Mm. Um, it wasn't really thought out of how people really, really move where they were going or how it would affect housing or not. It was just, let's do the avenue because we need mobility. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't really a connected exercise with anything else. And that's the difference between them and now. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing uh, for the future, especially cities and planets should focus on resiliency. And I don't mean it uh, only from an environmental point of view, which is extremely important, but also from a social point of view. Okay, It is uh, extremely important that we create cities that can change as things happen in the world, mm -hmm. that they welcome the big changes, not only react to them, but they actually thrive on the changes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, adapt to them uh, so that it really becomes uh, place become places that um, uh, can adapt to these things, welcome new people and and thrive with them and change and evolve with them yeah. as opposed to thinking that uh, things are not going to change. Mm -hmm. We usually talk about what cities should do. Uh, I love to ask you what cities should stop uh, doing um, in yeah. order like how to say in order to create a social justice yeah through urban planning what should we as planners stop do yeah i think that the very first things planners and cities and the, and and citizens in general uh, have to stop doing is is thinking that communities shouldn't change uh, uh or that they don't change i think cities have to understand that uh, change is inevitable and so it's not so much avoiding change, mm -hmm. but how do you manage that change? Are we creating cities that are resilient? Are we creating cities that are flexible? Are we uh, creating cities that work for everyone? And so this idea that a community uh, has to stay the same uh, should stop being an idea because it's impossible to evolve that way. I think we need to stop thinking that uh, Evolution is not a thing, that that cities are not going to change, that the population numbers are not going to change, that the climate is not going to change, mm. that the economy is not going to change. So we need to be cognizant that change is a thing. And so we have to stop thinking that we're going to remain the same. Okay, okay. More things that we should stop do? um, Doing? For planners to stop doing? Um, I think that one of the things that planners uh, in general and uh, cities in general also should stop thinking that uh, ideas come from a desk <laughs> uh, and that uh, that ideas come from one person and that's how you manage yeah. the city. 
I think that we have to uh, make peace with the fact that it's a collective and and not only it's about community participation, but mm. when you talk about experts, planners and architects and landscape architects and, and transportation engineers, they all have to, and, and real estate developers, yeah. they all have to be on the table. And all these plans, there's no one man show. This is just really a, a, a mm. community effort. It's a group effort. So we yeah. stop thinking that, we should stop thinking that this is a, uh, a master planner exactly idea, like, yeah, yeah. kind of like it was in the 50s <laughs> exactly and it and all this ideology destroyed our city and we we see now that how how much segregation we have how how bad is the mobility and transportation and on you know all, all many of the challenges just because like we believe that okay one person is responsible for planning the city which right. is like a kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, what skills you you think that we as a planners or working with city development should should either develop or maybe new skills that we should learn? Yeah. I think one skill that uh, seems out of the realm of planning, they always teach us maps and buildings and zoning and all this language but i think one key thing to learn is listening mm. uh and observing mm. because observing what uh, the places are telling you is fundamental for you to move forward so before yeah. you even come up with this idea of we should put a a train this way or an avenue this way or or mm. these uses mm. here or whatnot i think you need to understand what the challenges are but also the opportunities that cities have uh, and listening to the community is is vital yeah. uh, because not only um, helps you make the right decisions, but politically also gives you more buyout. If if these are things that are coming from the city, inherently it means that the, the political administrative arm of those cities mm. are going to support uh, these ideas as opposed to being a, a strictly technocratic way to approach things. So I think you need to learn, need to, learn to listen and observe and make sure that you fully understand what the what the place is telling you yeah uh but camila are you are you teaching nowadays or no no i'm strictly uh planning i'm strictly <laughs> working for the city but i would love uh, yeah. to teach at some point i've i've been part of uh create desks and uh mm -hmm. part of lectures uh, in schools but yeah. i uh, teaching is it's uh, it's always been in my mind Okay, great. Now I was thinking like if you de delivering this message about listening to how to say to students and so on. Um, so tell me, where can we find your book and in which languages? And yeah. uh, tell me like also the target group to who, who are you targeting within this Yeah, group? Yeah, the, the book is... is... It's it has kind of an academic tone. Yeah. Uh, it's it's light reading. It does have data, but it's not extremely or overly technical. But it does have a little bit of an academic approach. So really, the intended target is, uh, especially the the young population who are now going to planning school or architecture school or landscape architecture school, uh, and and are maybe in the later stages of of their career or those who are just starting their career to think about how they connect these two things, urban planning, not just for the sake of mm. plans mm. and maps, but for social justice, because I think it's a big, it's not the solution, it's not going to save the world, uh, but it is part of the tools to fight against uh, social inequity. Um, and uh, the book, you can find it in Amazon uh, or Rutledge, which is the publishing company mm. or uh, and I don't mean to be plugging in things, but it is the website. It is my first yeah, and last yeah. name, CamiloSpitia.com. If it makes it easier, you can go there and there's links uh, to uh, where you can buy it. Mm. Um, it's not a, an overly extensive book. Uh, and that's why I divided it in, in six chapters so that you can go from one topic to the next without having to get bored with one topic <laughs> you can look at six so yeah. it's somewhat i would say in the in the lighter reading but it does have an academic tone yeah yeah and I'm, I'm reading it now i'm really enjoying it and as you mentioned like i can jump from one chapter to another and exactly. I, I don't need to to read through like page after page the entire book Correct. it's 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 fine to go to how to say to this city or to the other city and and Correct. so on so i like Correct. that you uh you put 
different stories instead of making one only one big story thank you yeah yes. yeah but tell me because in the book you're talking a bit about your childhood and you moved how you went to school and so on um this part of the episode is going to be more about you so tell me more about your your childhood and your relationship to different cities because you moved a lot yeah uh as i mentioned before i was born in bogota which is uh it's right now close to 10 uh, 10 million people so mm. it is in the verge of becoming a mega city yeah um right now the city uh, fortunately has uh the brt system spread out throughout the city and bike lanes with i think one of the most extensive uh, networks of bike lanes in the world, mm. the largest one in Latin America. Uh, but that was not the case when I was when I was uh, going to school in mm. Colombia. So I had to deal with transportation before all this, okay. which was really precarious and, and quite honestly, even dangerous. How did you um, go? Just public transit, but it was up until uh, the 90s, it was an, a very informal system. So there were okay. not bus stops. You would just stop the bus in any corner. Oh. Uh, we had, and I think I talk about it in the book, uh, it, we had what they would call the war of the scent, okay. which is basically fighting for passengers. So they, they uh, get the, the bus you, you drivers collect, would get yeah. paid. Yeah, yeah, because the, the bus drivers didn't get paid for a trip. They get paid per amount of passengers. Mm -hmm. So they would stop, they would, at any cost, they would stop to get a, a passenger. So mm -hmm. you can imagine the driving conditions, but also they would just cram the buses with as many passengers as possible. So yeah. it was completely unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, and and so that created a mindset of, of how do we think, and you know, back then I'm a child, so I'm not thinking about urban planning, but no. it does beg the question of me going to some of my classmates' uh, neighborhoods for yeah. homework yeah. and seeing the difference in how the site was site was looked, how some of them had to walk because they didn't have a bus line going to their neighborhood. Mm. Uh, some of the neighborhoods didn't have sidewalks or they had unpaved roads, and so and or some of the ones had you know the tree lined mm. uh, street, and so you did see you start to see the marked differences of what the economic means are based on how the built environment looks. Yeah. And it did make it hard for some of my classmates to get to school. Okay. Uh, and so that that's how you start getting a sense of what social justice is. And again, mm. these concepts do not live in a 10 year old, but they do start getting you and uh, up to speed and giving you information as to how the, the city works. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of the other cities, uh, you know, Going to school in Colombia, you are very aware of the other countries in in the region. In fact, kind of a, a historic mm -hmm. uh, thing is uh, Venezuela, Ecuador, Colombia, and Panama used to be one single country. Okay. So it inherently means that our history is is very intertwined, and so we do read about uh, the other countries. Uh, but as I mentioned before, they felt always distant. They were they felt almost like a sort of a historic point of view. Mm. Uh, but it but it did spark the curiosity of how thinking about how do other people live in other cities, how different is it from Bogota? I, I was always curious about understanding that. And then luckily when I moved to Miami, I met uh, some of my friends from other countries and then working in the other countries. Mm. Finally, I could see this uh, firsthand, but um, from a child, I was interested in thinking about uh, why are these things so different and, seeing you know their their economic means yeah. uh, reflected in in their built environment was was something that stuck to me at that very uh, very early age mm -hmm. but you mentioned also like you that you could read the economical situation just by reading the built environment can you can you elaborate on this sure uh and in fact it is a technicality in colombia that's how um the country uh, decided a couple of decades ago to divide uh, its citizens in um, economic, social, socioeconomic classes. Okay. And the reason it did that is because that's the way it started bracketing uh, taxes. Mm -hmm. And then it evolved into this is how we start providing uh, public utilities like water and f and telephone back then, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Electricity. Mm. Uh, so the way it worked is the the highest uh, economic uh, groups, socioeconomic mm. groups with the highest income, 
would help subsidize subsidize the lowest uh, economic uh, income groups mm -hmm. in their utilities. So if uh, 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 market rate was uh, five, for the mm -hmm. sake of the example, mm -hmm. the highest groups pay seven and the lowest groups pay three, and the difference is uh, subsidized by those highest groups, and then the, the economic groups in the middle paid the, the market rate. Mm -hmm. And so the way you define those socioeconomic groups yeah. wasn't by income. Mm. It was marked by the um, built environment. Okay. Uh, I obviously learned this after when yeah. I was an adult, but that's that's uh, it was a coincidence that I could see what the economic means were mm. connected into the built environment. And then you learned that that's in fact how it was qualified in Colombia. And so it's qualified by the uh, typology of your house, the quality of the construction materials, but also the quality of the surrounding properties okay. and the public mm -hmm. the public infrastructure as well. So um, a very well big house with the proper materials in a tree-lined street uh, will be qualified as a highest income group mm -hmm. versus uh, a house that has unfinished uh, materials, unfinished uh, um, mm. uh, utilities mm. inside the house that has no sidewalks that the uh, the electricity is coming from all these cables yeah. that you have probably seen in the pictures mm. that will be a lower a lower income um, uh, community and so that's how the socioeconomic uh, groups in Colombia are actually measured and measured by their their housing conditions yeah does it does it still the same the way they measure or what taxes it is do you know it is still the same okay um what and, and uh it is based on the the informality in which bogota specific group but it's true to most cities in latin america is they grew very informally yeah by having the migration from uh the other cities or smaller towns Coming, yeah. into the into the capital mm. typically mm. uh and they start just making uh their homes in land that probably used to be uh agricultural land yeah. and they just start subdividing it illegally mm. and so it means they don't have utilities right and so little by little they get electricity yeah. they get uh, water and sewage they mm. get transportation mm. and so what uh but what that specifically is doing now today is formalizing these blocks and so now it's uh, uh, building the sidewalks, providing the electricity, providing the sewer mm. and switch, because they realized that there's no way to go back, right? These are no. informal neighborhoods. They already you, you settled. You have to provide. Correct. Yeah, Correct. yeah. And now, like now, uh, also, we could we can speak about the social justice. How do we deal with this challenge and make Correct. it justice, make the justice socially? Yeah. Yeah, it, in terms of urban planning, it means that, right? It means uh, going back and acknowledging the flaw of how these cities grew with no official or planned uh, uh, implementation strategy for how the city was going to be developed. Uh, and in parties, uh, how you know the city planning was done in the past officially. Yeah. And so it means the painful exercise of looking mm. at ourselves in the mirror and saying, this is a flaw, we need to fix it. Yeah. Uh, and so now investing in their sidewalks and investing in their parks. And then the big question for the world is, well, you improve this um, public infrastructure, you improve the sidewalks, you put the tree, you put down the, the electricity, you mm. put the water mm. and sewage. Is this going to increase the prices of their homes? Is this going to increase their taxes? Is this going to cause gentrification? Mm. And that is the question that I don't know that anybody has solved yet, but but it does incur into that. There yeah. is gentrification in our cities because of that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm. But like I had, how to say, I had a few episodes about talking about segregation, social justice, and so on. And the out or the, how to say, output or the result I got from the conversations with urban planners is that urban planning is not solving this problem of segregation and, and, and social justice and so on. Uh, so it was, I felt like I ended up hopeless in what I'm doing. I'd be like, okay, then what's the point uh, if we yeah. cannot solve this? What is your reflection? Is urban planning, uh, urban planning is uh, like cannot do anything or? Yeah. No, it, urban planning is not going to solve the world, but it is extremely important to make sure that people have livable cities, livable places, right? Mm -hmm. The quality of life of somebody 
uh, has to do with their income, their job placement, their education, mm -hmm. and and all these things that urban planning alone will never provide. But urban planning can create spaces that are welcoming, right? They yeah. can uh, create spaces that invite the community not only to uh, participate mm. and be a part of how they evolve, but by simply providing spaces that are basic for yeah. social justice, just yeah. providing a decent open space for people who uh, enjoy their leisure time, mm -hmm. providing a decent sidewalk for people to walk safely from um, their home to school, mm. creating a zoning that has all these uses closer to each other so that people don't have to take a car or mm. a bus for three hours, that if they're going to take public transportation, that it's efficient, that it's uh, economic, that it goes to the places that they need to go to, but hopefully even closer so they can just simply walk or bike. Mm. Uh, so it, it is a tool because it does provide the connections to employment and education and leisure and entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the sheer aspect of having a city that provides an environment that respects you mm. um, uh, is extremely important to make you feel like you're part of the city. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to extend this, but I think. That's one of the su most successful things that happened in Medellin, for instance, which yeah. was, I'm sure you're aware how dangerous it was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And it was a physical fracture between what those communities were having to deal with, mm. with violence and how separated and completely segregated they went from the center of the city that had the jobs, mm -hmm. that had the schools, that had the parks yeah. and the amenities. And what was done in Medellin in the early 2000s was basically say, we're going to connect that. Mm. And it has reduced violence drastically. And yeah. now people feel a sense of pride. Has it solved everything in Medellin? Of course not. But it is a completely different city. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you can go to the city, it's completely safe. Mm. And, uh, and and it's a beautiful city. And I'm not even from that city. I'm from Bogota. Yeah. Not uh, plugging uh, the place uh, that I was born or anything. Mm. But mm. Um, that's an example of, of how urban planning is key for social yeah. justice. Yeah. It won't solve it all, but it is extremely yeah, important. Yeah. So, like, we can make the, a contribution. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And Camilo, when you were writing, when you were writing this book, what was the the like fun moment and interesting moment in writing the book, and the one less fun and less interesting in writing the book? The fun moment, uh, I think, uh, or moments where the research. Uh, reading, I love reading, I love learning, okay, so uh, learning from others that was extremely interesting, uh, but especially visiting the places, because okay. in some of these cities, mm. I didn't go to all of them, but I did go to most of them. Yeah. Uh, visiting the cities is is awesome, that mm. was extremely fun, eating their food, taking pictures, talking to people, talking yes, to locals, yeah. talking to the planners, that was fun. So the learning process was uh, extremely fun. I gotta be honest that the writing itself was a little bit painful because uh, <laughs> it took me, I'm not a writer, I'm a planner. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it did take me a long time to edit these things, okay. <laughs> find find the rhythm, the tone, yeah. read, reread, yeah. have people proofread, correct. So I think that was a little bit, uh, a little bit more painful, to be quite honest. Yeah, but you managed to put together a good chapter. So good job. Thank in the you. End. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. And, um, what do you want people to say about you, let's say, 100 years from now? Um, I think I, 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 I would be only interested in, in having people know whether it's now or in 100 years that I, I did really try to help. Okay. Uh, that if you Google my name, it wasn't about this master planner or this person with big ideas or anything mm -hmm. like that. I think if if there's something I would like for people to remember me by is, oh, yeah, this guy actually tried to help and, yeah. and he did his best to talk to us and, mm -hmm. and, and listen and uh, do the best for our communities. That would be the one thing that I would say yeah. I would like to see. Yeah. And what motivates you to do what you do? Um, I work in a post-industrial city yeah. uh, and 
not to get too extensive, but after the industrial revolutions, these cities unfortunately suffered uh, economic decay. Mm -hmm. And so they were left in the uh, 60s and 70s in very bad shape. And then on top of that, we did the urban, the famous urban renewal projects in the United States that drove uh, highways through mm -hmm. uh, our downtowns. And so it fractured communities. And so today we're basically picking up the pieces of what that damage was. Okay. So I deal with with uh, a lot of low-income communities. Mm. I deal with migrant communities and being an immigrant myself, I see the reflection. I see that connection between yeah. uh, that community and myself. Mm. And so what uh, gives me the energy is striving for making a better place for them. Mm. Uh, uh, and making sure that I, I, I do as much as I can to in, improve their quality yeah. of life, that uh, drives me. That uh, I think it's it's not it's funny because it's here in the United States, but it it does take me back to when I used to see these communities when I was going to school when I was a kid and mm. and, and 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 in high school as well in Colombia, seeing these differences and seeing how so many people uh, struggle with just uh, getting out of their house because yeah, there's yeah. no infrastructure and and being and feeling being and feeling mm -hmm. abandoned by 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 the state um and so th that's all connected and that's why I love working for this city and that's what that drives me to write about it talk about it and and, and try to help yeah that's beautiful are you thinking to go back to Colombia or do you have this idea of going back home uh it's been so long here that I think it's I I go back often because all my family lives there. Okay, uh, yeah. And so I do go back and and visit, but as um, a professional, like yeah, as a professional, I obviously we more than happy to uh, help in any way mm. that I could if I if I was called by somebody yeah. and say, listen, would you mind helping? <laughs> I will be elated to uh, uh, go back. And in fact, again, like I said before, I have worked in projects in, in the region. So yeah. I, would, I would be more than happy to go back and as a professional, try to give a hand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you keep your work-life balance and, uh, do your hobbies and so on? Because usually when we are passionate about things, maybe we forget our things getting into each other when it comes to work, hobbies, side projects, family, how, how do you keep the line between them? It is, yeah, uh, it is, it is difficult to be honest because, like you said, I'm passionate about it, but it is, it is not that different from who I am. Mm. What I do here in the office and mm. what I write about, yeah, what I talk about when I'm in my personal time, it's, it's not drastically different. Uh, I, I, I believe in what needs to be done, and that's part of how I have conversations with friends. Uh, so in a way it is hard because I'm always thinking about how a city works and, and it's yeah. just the, 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 the way I, I, I am. But because uh, when I walk, when I take a bus, when I take the train, I'm thinking about these things mm. even outside of my office. Um, but so it's not, it's not that drastically different from what I do or think about in my free time. Um, I'm always thinking about how place could be better. Uh, but I do every now and then have to disconnect and and, and spend, you know, an hour doing something mm, different, mm. listening to music or yeah. I love soccer. So I football, uh, actual European football okay. or football. Um, I every now and then play it myself. Uh, um, but yeah, so I do enjoy mm, uh, mm. playing guitar and, and um playing football and watching football. Yeah. But even in my leisure time, when I go on a trip, I enjoy uh, eating the food, but also, again, constantly thinking about, oh, this city is great. This is something <laughs> I, I should copy, or, yeah. or this yeah. is something I would not do or, or whatnot. But uh, so it is hard to separate in both. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're watching Messi playing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's killing it here in, yeah. in Miami, and yeah. people are going nuts with him being his uh i think in our modern time the best player in the world despite the fact that there's a lot of them in our modern time yeah like i don't know like ronaldinho is probably on, on a previous previous yeah. decade but uh there's obviously great players nowadays but i think messi is just particularly interesting because he moves so much people 
around <laughs> that that here in the United States, which is not a a listing in in when it comes to men's soccer, mm. it's not a strong a super strong league, and it's not okay. a super followed sport, but. Okay. Just him coming has moved yeah. masses, and has, ah. it's incredible. Yeah, so it's a lot it's, of it's attention incredible. going to the to football. Correct, correct. That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And which uh, club do you support in in Europe? In Europe, uh, I like Juventus from oh. Italy. I'm not 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 uh, okay. That's awesome. I I uh, also support Juventus. I'm a big fan awesome. of uh, Juventus. That's a happy coincidence, and uh, we just had a Colombian player there, Cuadrado. Yeah, of uh, course. Who was part of the team. Uh, so I would, I would, I would, I would think that Italian teams are some of my favorite, but specifically Juventus. Nice. Every now and then, when I can, I watch a game, and I, I do enjoy that team. Yeah, yeah. Last game went, didn't went so well. Like it was one-one. And also, like yeah. it's a bit sad because uh, how to say, we cheer for the team and then. They cheat the managers, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> exactly. the board. The, it's so annoying, you know. Like every time, yes, we're winning, having fun, being very proud, and then you read next day in the newspaper. Okay, we will take off fifteen minutes because you are cheating, like or the board we are cheating. It's so exactly. annoying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, I see it all the time with our teams here in Latin America too. So. <laughs> Yeah. So if you if you choose another profession than like urban planning and so on, what will you choose uh, to to do and work with? Uh, football, as much as I love it and I played, I'm not really good <laughs> at it, so I would be terrible. Uh, music, I play guitar, but also not mm. that great at it. Cooking, I would say, is oh, one nice. of the things that nice. that I like to do. I'm not chef quality, but I I I. Do love it simply because food talks about precisely uh, what a place is, their mm. resources, their culture. So I, I love food in general. I yeah. like eating food, <laughs> but I, but inherently means I like cooking and experimenting with cooking. So I would I think that if I were to start mm. again, I would I wouldn't mind going to uh, cooking school. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a favorite? Uh, what do you call it? Cuisine or, or... cuisine? Yeah. Uh, there's many, but I would argue that uh, Peruvian cuisine is fantastic. Okay. Um, I think Mexican food is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think Spanish food is is great, especially in the south of Spain. Uh, it's kind of a different experience. Yeah. So I love that. And and Italian food, it's, it's delicious too. <laughs> exactly. Now you're making me hungry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So happy to talk to you and, and thanks for giving your time uh, to record this episode. I love the book and I will keep reading it. And now we are in the end of, of this episode and I have two questions for you. And first sure. one is about uh, you giving three takeaway messages to our listeners. Yeah, I would say uh, you should go and try as much as possible to visit specifically Latin American cities so you can see them uh, by yourself and see what they're doing yeah. and see, you know, their flaws too, but 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 see that there are people working really hard behind them mm. to make these places better despite all the uh, challenges. Um, I would encourage uh, people to have conversations with planners from cities all over the world yeah. because it, it's fantastic to hear their unique perspective to mm. things, but also despite the different type of place, sometimes you hear these similarities and it's, it's so comforting to know that there's yeah. all these people trying to make a difference and with, their, with different methods. And sometimes you find these common common mm -hmm. themes and it's satisfying. Uh, and the last one, I would say uh, to buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> Good book, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, how to say, I usually, to be honest, I get a lot of uh, book, what do you call it? book questions, uh, recording episode and so on i usually uh -huh. say but send me the book i read it and then then we decide so uh -huh. uh, when you send me the book i i i am reading it i already saw okay this is very interesting so no of course i also suggest listeners to to read the book because it's it's interesting and a lot of uh, interesting uh, insights especially you. for us in europe you know we are not that close to latin america and maybe sometimes you have these images that uh, stereotypes that not really like uh, matching with the reality now because what we have 
the perception and the images we have is outdated. We think like it's still right. it's still in the nineties or seventies, but now it's a lot of right. things changing. Yeah, so yeah. your book is delivering a good um, good message. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, now last question is going to be you asking it. Uh, in this episode. So what is your question to our listener? Assuming that uh, most of the listeners are interested in the, in the urban planning um, topic, I would say that we all know that the majority of people are going to be living in cities in the future and not so far future. I would. It's more of a rhetoric question and it's kind of a, a reflection question for all of us is how do we envision this world to be in an urban environment, given that more people are living in cities? Do we want these cities to be just? Do we want these cities to be kind to people? How do you, as, a, as an urban planner or as an architect or as a landscape architect or, 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 or somebody who's involved in politics, how do you envision that world yeah. in the future? Yeah. And have that as a reflection. Yes. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mustafa. I can't thank you enough. And thanks everybody for following the podcast. And I hope you like this one too.